Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into it, a quick reminder, please follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine. If you haven't done so already, check out my YouTube channel that you can find by searching my name, Felix Levine on YouTube. Please go and subscribe. Uh, I post everything there in full video versions, highlights from those full episodes, all of that good stuff uh, at your viewing pleasure on YouTube. And also, I please urge you to reach out to me on my website, felix-levine.com. There you can contact me via email. I want to hear from all of you what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, guests you want me to have on, things that I can do to make the content more interesting and more enjoyable. So please, felixlevinewtg at gmail.com is my email. And also, please DM me on Instagram at felix.levine. I will answer your dms and i also want to thank everybody for your continued support it really uh does mean the world i do see a lot of your messages and uh it really is so nice to see and keeps me motivated so thank you so much for that and my guest today he is a serial entrepreneur he is also the executive producer of going public a new very interesting series that will allow regular people to invest in privately owned companies as they get to learn about the founders of those companies on a weekly show. I think this concept is super interesting and let's learn more about it. Please welcome Darren Marble. And we're live. Darren, thank you uh, so much for taking the time today. I'm, uh, I'm excited to have you on my show, and it's, uh, it's really a pleasure to meet you. Thanks, Felix. Feelings mutual. Appreciate you having me on. So I told you a few seconds ago, what's the world not know about you yet? I've been sober for seven, going on eight years. Wow. I quit drinking uh, almost eight years ago, and it was the single best decision I've ever made uh, in my life as a person. And two years into my sobriety, my businesses started taking off. And the irony is that at the time I was drinking, my, my core business was failing and it was kind of a disastrous company and uh, generating very little revenue. I hired a coach under the guise that he would help improve my business. And at the end of that three month coaching session, he suggested I take a break from drinking for 90 days, turned into six months, a year, two years, and the irony is that I needed to make a personal change in order for my you know, entrepreneurial skills to really take flight. And uh, my sobriety has been the secret to my, my success as a founder. Well, that's, uh, I'll be honest with you, that's one, probably one of the best ones we've had. Um, you know, I'm, I get, I'm getting the nod from my producer over here. I'm about, what, 78, 79 episodes in, and uh, I love that one just on, on many levels because I think um, just from a health standpoint, um, you know, that's awesome. And then also, I mean, what we'll get into later, obviously the business side, but I'm just curious, um, did you, so, so how old are you right now? I'm 41. So you were about 34 when you went sober? That's correct. And so before that, um, will you kind of describe what life looked like for yourself, I guess, um, you know, in dealing with alcohol, but also, I guess, generally what the life of, of Darren Marble looked like on, on the day to day? So I was in uh, the software sales industry and I had a pretty successful career. I was a director, vice president of sales at the time. And you know, part of my MO was taking clients out for dinners and drinks and I uh, would buy $100 bottles of you know, Napa Cabernets and um, Pinot Noirs from Santa Maria. Uh, I would probably drink three times a week. And um, if I were drinking at home, I would open a bottle and I'd have three or four glasses and go through the bottle over a couple of hours. Um, nothing crazy. I wasn't blacking out, didn't get arrested, you know, wasn't technically out of control, but I was drinking regularly, like at least three to four times a week. And, you know, I had success in the sense that I had a good stable career and I had a great income, but I was unfulfilled because my dream was really to be an entrepreneur and to pay myself and to not have a boss, to be my own boss. And I was failing in that regard. And so Mentally and emotionally, I was frustrated. I was a frustrated person, uh, maybe a bit angry because, you know, I, I wanted something that I couldn't attain and my business that I had been doing on the side for years 
was was really failing and I was struggling and uh, it was a tough position. And what I realized after I quit drinking and now almost eight years into it, my efficiency, my efficiency didn't go from zero to a hundred. It wasn't like I quit drinking and everything changed overnight, but it was like this slight edge. So I went from like 95% efficiency to like 96, maybe 97%. And that one or 2% improvement was game changing. And it compounded slowly, but surely over time to the point where my entire life turned around. My businesses turned on, we've raised millions of dollars. Uh, and now we're launching the show and, and it was really nothing that I could attain when I was 95% efficient. And um, so it was really a, a game changer. And I think for people listening, if you are an entrepreneur or you are planning to start your own business, the odds of you failing are, are very high. Nine out of 10 startups fail. And those are facts and, and they're indisputable. So why not give yourself a little bit of an edge, just 1% edge, 2% and try quitting drinking because that may be the edge that you're not thinking of, but could be the key to making your dreams come true. Now, for you, did you feel like the drinking was solely because of the frustrations that you were having from a business sense? Not at all. I loved drinking. I mean, I liked being buzzed. I liked being drunk. I liked being social. I liked going and entertaining and spending a lot of money and expensing it to my company. I loved all of it. And, um, you know, I was a social drinker and I would, I would go out and drink with clients and friends. And uh, I wouldn't say it was because I was frustrated with my business. I would say I liked the feeling of, of drinking alcohol, um, like a lot of people. I liked being buzzed and I thought that I was more interesting and entertaining and would close a deal with a client. And, you know, in retrospect, these are lies that people tell themselves like, hey, I need to go drink to be interesting to the world. Or if I don't take this client out and entertain them, I'm going to miss the deal. These are, of course, myths. None of these things are true. I've had more success quitting drinking than I've ever had as an entrepreneur, as a salesperson, as an executive. But these are myths that you come to believe over time, but they're false. And uh, it's hard to see that when you're in the moment, but none of that is actually necessary. Turns out you don't need to go get people drunk to close a deal. That's a really lame way to have to close a deal. Um, that you know, you're generally more efficient, you're more productive, you choose better words. Uh, you're more effective when you're stone cold sober and you put 100% of your energy into something positive. So now on the other side of it, I don't miss it, right? And I'm lucky because not everybody feels like that. I do know people that can't be around alcohol, but for me, I feel great. I don't miss it. It's like a habit. I'm in the habit of brushing my teeth every day. I do it two, three times a day, and I'm in the habit of not drinking, and I drink a lot of water. And so it's just you kind of get in the habit of something, you can get out of the habit of something, and I'm, I'm out of the habit of drinking, and it, it feels great. As a, as a human being, though, um, putting the business to the side, did you feel like the drinking was a, uh, a way to compensate a deficiency somewhere? Was it a, perhaps a, a lack of confidence? Um, or how do you, how do you analyze um, that period of your life? You know, I, I have an addictive personality, and it kind of came you know, uh, to fruition in my, my college years. I went to UCLA, and I partied a lot and drank and smoked. And I would say that it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I was in the habit of drinking. I liked it. And, you know, I've been able to channel that energy into business building, into signing deals, generating revenue, executing on partnerships, raising capital to launch this show. So I would say it was more of a personality trait, which I still have that trait. I'm still the same person. I've just been able to channel that obsessiveness and that energy into something more productive. Now, I'm still a human, I have my flaws, and, and maybe that addictive tendency is, is not perfect, but at a minimum, I've been able to channel it away from a bad habit into great habits, into focusing on my success as a founder, focusing on my client's success, and it feels great. And you know, I, I never thought that I could take that energy uh, from one place and apply it to something that was even um, more satisfying, more rewarding, but I've done it. And so the message to other people out there is to give this a shot. Give yourself every edge you can because it is hard to run a business and you need every advantage possible to have a shot at success. So I, 
I just, I love talking about this because I think more and more people are talking about the benefits of not drinking uh, than ever before, celebrities, influencers, regular people. And it's, it's been so fundamental to my success and growth as an entrepreneur that I want other people to hear this because oftentimes as a founder, you're told, well, you know, you need a different business model. You got to go raise capital. And, and oftentimes the truth is much heavier. It's, hey, you need to make a personal change. You need to change yourself before you're going to find success, you know, in your business. And it's not reading a book. It's not even going to college. It's, you know, your health, your mental clarity, and your ability to show up as your best self every single day over and over and over. That's what unlocked my talent as a founder. And I think that other people can attain that same success too. When did you know that um, the drinking was a problem or do you, did you always kind of know you just were in denial? You know, I, I would say it took someone else challenging me. I hired a coach to help me <clears throat> fix my business. And he said, hey, I don't think it's your business that needs fixing. I think it's you. And the funny part about it is that, you know, I was drinking three times a week. I had this great career in software sales. I was making money. So I thought I was kind of already successful and I had it going on and I could manage these things. And he said, hey, why don't you take a break from drinking for 90 days? And I said, Adam, I don't have a drinking problem. So why would I need to take a break? And he said, exactly. You don't have a drinking problem. So what's 90 days? And um, two years into my sobriety, I was able to replace my income in the software sales role with revenue that my company had generated. And that was when the light bulb went off. It, it became real. I realized that my business was working and the revenue was coming in because I was clear. I was focused. I was executing. And at that point, my dream came true. My dream was to be a founder and to not depend on other people to pay me a salary or to pay me commissions. And so after I left my career in software sales, and at that time I was a senior vice president of sales, and I had just gotten a promotion, I was making more money in my career than I ever had. I literally walked away from that promotion a month after and said, I'm out. I'm going all in on my own business because I can. And I remember the CEO of my company at the time was totally shocked. He was like, Darren, I just gave you the world. I gave you the title. I gave you the 150K base salary. Are you crazy? You've worked 10 years for this. And I thought, but I'm giving myself freedom. And that was my dream. And so I haven't looked back since because I'm living my dream every day as someone who is not drinking and sober. And I would never trade that. I would never want to go back to the old me and working for other people. It's not in my, it's not in my DNA. What is, uh, what do you think the, the, the reaction, um, from your observations have been from the people in closest in your life? Um, <clears throat> I think they're, they're super proud of me. Like my wife, you know, I show up for her, I show up for my kids and I'm just more present. And, you know, it's interesting because I think one of the reasons people drink, and maybe this was true for me too, is it is a way to distract yourself um, from whatever, you know, stress you have in your life. That could be marital stress. It could be with your kids, your friends, your job. There's a hundred things people are trying to escape from in their life, um, some more than others. And yet when you're sober and you, you show up with, you know, clarity every day, you have to fight the reality of that situation and you can't escape it. And I think that's part of the, the upside is you're able to deal with reality and deal with those emotions uh, in a more productive way and kind of, you know, synthesize and move on and overcome. Um, but I think, you know, my friends and family are supportive. Now, truthfully, I lost one friend. Like there was one guy who was like my party buddy. We'd go to Vegas all the time and drink and all that and gamble. And he was like, hey man, now that you're not drinking, like I can't be friends with you. And that was a shock. I was like actually really shocked that this guy literally like didn't want to hang out with me anymore. But that was one person out of hundreds of people I know. And it exposed the, the relationship what was kind of weak. You know, my relationship with this guy, he actually wasn't as good of a friend as I thought, because what friend would ditch you because you stopped drinking, right? Like, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, but my closest friends and family have been incredibly supportive, and uh, it's been awesome. Do you remember the first time you verbalized um, this idea that you had a drinking problem? Uh, you know, it's funny because 
I never thought of myself as having a drinking problem. And even today, like I can say, I don't think I had a problem. Um, somebody else might disagree. My wife would say, no, you were a heavy drinker. Um, but again, you know, I had a career in sales and I was executing and hiring and managing a team. And so in my mind, that was success, that I was able to manage these things at the same time, run uh, a sales team, drink. And I thought, I'm kind of like the average person in my industry that can do both. And whether I had a problem or not is kind of a moot point. The, the truth is I'm a better person not drinking. And that's clear. And my dream has come true now as an entrepreneur who's quit drinking. And I, the, the, the difference is night and day. You know, we've raised millions of dollars for our company. I hadn't raised $100,000 when I was drinking and everything kind of changed for me. So all I know is that from the time I quit to today, everything's turned around. I'm a serial entrepreneur living the dream. And uh, I think this is a life that other people can get to. They're willing to make a big change. Well, first, I mean, I appreciate you opening up about this, you know, especially right off the bat, because I think that uh, I think that for a lot of people, um, hopefully listening, whether it's alcohol or anything else, um, you know, I think that it's just super inspiring to to see that anything that can be remotely negative or uh, remotely abused or just kind of, uh, you know, going against what will uh, in the in the end help you become more efficient or productive i think it's uh it's pretty it's pretty telling that you know as you said you could be 95% efficient but it's the 96 or 97 that might make the whole difference um for That's you right. just last question on 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 this subject you know for the people out there and i've only talked to you for about 10 15 minutes and i can and you know obviously i've done my research so i can i can i know that you are successful and smart but for some people who don't have you know maybe the career that you had it's probably a little bit harder um, if they have, uh, you know, a vice or something that's really consuming them to make that kind of uh, 180 flip and, uh, you know, go sober, cold turkey. But sure. that being said, uh, what are some of the best ways that you noticed um, either when you had, you know, maybe a, the itch to have a drink or uh, something in that ballpark to kind of stray away from that? Because I'm sure that no matter what position someone is out there, there's got to be something, uh, you know, a common denominator that could perhaps help uh, the person that's listening to this right now. Totally. Uh, it's a great question. And look, I think the answer is it depends on the person. Like some people can go into a program like AA and they can show up every day or go once a week and that is the right program for them. I went to one AA meeting and it didn't feel right. And I knew it right away. And I was like, I don't know who these people are. I don't know that I really care about their stories. Truthfully, I care about my own well-being and, and health and sanity. And it just wasn't the right setting for me. So I hired a coach. And for me, having somebody that I knew, I knew this guy, I trusted him. Uh, he was credible. He had, you know, the, the, just somebody I could talk to on a weekly basis that was a better format for me personally. And so we would do a weekly call for an hour, like Wednesday evening, like seven to 8 PM. Uh, it was the right format. And so having a person that I could talk to, and if I was ever like, Hey man, like I'm thinking of drinking and can you help me? That was a better format for me. And by the way, some people don't need any of this. Some people can literally wake up and one day after like 20 years of drinking say I'm done and they can quit. I think that's very uncommon, but I know that that does happen. Um, I like the coach model personally, and I think people should try that. I think that's a way for you to have a very like close, intimate relationship with one person who you can get to know and trust and talk about your goals, your weaknesses, your challenges. And um, that Adam was kind of my, my support system. And that model worked for me. And we did it for three months. And man, I, every time I see that guy come up on my social timeline, I thank him. I call him. I'm Adam. Like you, you helped me change my life. So I think coaches uh, are underrated and I know there's a lot of coaches out there and you find them in clubhouse, this and that, but the right coaches are priceless. So I encourage people to seek out a coach. Do you know, um, for yourself, uh, if there's, you know, maybe one thing that you would have changed from, from that process, I guess, uh, before, before you, you were, you know, quote unquote, a heavy drinker. Um, is there something you might have told yourself uh, back in those days as you started getting into entrepreneurship 
um, and started working in the workforce uh, about maybe a way that you could have dissuaded yourself to to be maybe the person bef- you were before, uh, you know, you started drinking and, um, you know, went on went on that path that now has now led to this awesome path. It's it's tough, you know, because in, in hindsight's twenty twenty, and like, had I known that if I would have quit drinking earlier, I would have had earlier success as an entrepreneur, I probably would have done it in a heartbeat. But as somebody who, you know, was drinking and, and not succeeding, it just, it never occurred to me. It never occurred to me that that's what I needed to have success. In fact, it was probably on like the bottom end of the list. Like one of the last things I would have ever imagined I needed to be a successful entrepreneur was to quit drinking because these are not things that are talked about in business or entrepreneurship. You hear people say, well, you got to go raise capital. You need, you need venture capital. That's your secret to success. You need a technical co-founder. You need a direct to consumer business. You need to generate revenue and you need to buy Facebook ads for a dollar and get $2 back. Nobody says, Hey, you should quit smoking. You should quit drinking. You should, you should stop doing these things. But it turns out they're, they're more powerful than all those other things. Um, you know, and truthfully, you know, hey, I'm 41 years old and I'm very thankful that I have a growing business, multiple businesses at this point in my career. That was the path that life took me on. And uh, I wish I would have figured this out earlier. It took me until my mid 30s. You know, God bless people that can, can figure it out in their uh, 20s. Um, but, you know, I don't necessarily regret anything. I feel like things happen for a reason. And, um, you know, right now a lot of things are working. So I'm very thankful for it and uh, appreciate being in the position that that I'm in today. Did you ever have any fears? And I don't know how much you've talked about this publicly before, but, um, you know, fears of talking about it now or making it, uh, you know, a public thing because, you know, some people might be like, shit, I don't know if I should talk about that, especially if I'm trying to raise millions of dollars in capital. Um, But, I salute you for for you know going that route because I think that in the end it shows uh, it shows more strength than weakness and I think that at the end of the day I think I'd rather hear from someone or I'd rather invest in someone like you who's going to tell me their their honest life story than someone who's going to tell me that it was all uh, fun you know dandelions and uh, green yeah. pastures green pastures their whole life. No, listen, man, I obviously have no, no qualms about talking about this. I have no shame. I'm not embarrassed about it. And, you know, if there's an investor listening and they were thinking about putting money into my company and they hear this podcast and they get nervous about it, fuck them. I don't need them. Um, we've got enough people that, that see the vision of what we're doing, that um, understand that we're building a game-changing business. And I agree with you. I think that... Um, people should look at my story as a case study of success. And listen, if you can change yourself, you can change the world. And I believe that. And so we're on that path right now, right? We are going to change the world with this business, but it took me changing myself and making a big personal transformation and a big decision to quit drinking before we ever had that opportunity. Uh, That's my truth, my reality. I embrace it. And uh, I hope that, you know, to me, this is less about, how, what's an investor going to think of me because I'm talking about this. I actually hope that this inspires, you know, up and coming founders to actually think harder about what they need to do as a prerequisite for being successful and looking inward versus thinking about other people somehow granting them knighthood and raising millions of dollars from VCs as the unlock in their business. That's almost never true. For me, the unlock was quitting drinking. uh, And that was the biggest change and biggest kind of gain I've made as a person, as an entrepreneur. So my hope is that this inspires that your listeners, Felix, to, to consider that change for themselves. And I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, but now I want to take you on a, uh, on a different trajectory because I want to get into more of like the business nitty gritty. And I wanted to pick your brain about a whole host of things. But before we do that, will you just kind of, um, and again, I always, I always like my guests to explain what they do more. I think that they'll do a 10 times better job than I will. So just for the people out there that aren't familiar with everything you're doing, going public, uh, you know, your positions, uh, will you just kind of briefly explain for, for people, uh, that want to know more? Sure. So going public is a groundbreaking original series that allows viewers to click to invest in IPOs and featured deals while they watch. 
This is a streaming series. Season one streams October 19th on entrepreneur.com. Entrepreneur is a 40 year old media brand and they see about 20 million monthly unique visitors to their core platform, entrepreneur.com. We're in the midst of production for season one. The companies that are in this show are primarily consumer product businesses that are doing 10 to $50 million in revenue. And it's a groundbreaking show because for the first time, the viewer is the shark. For the first time, the viewer can click to invest. If they see a company they like, if they like the investment, they can buy shares from their phone, their desktop in two to three minutes, whether they're doing that in episode one or episode seven. So it's really a pioneering show. We've been working on this for four years and we put a lot of time and energy and thought into this. And uh, we're looking at about 2 million unique viewers uh, per episode. The show is hosted by Lauren Simmons. Lauren was the youngest ever female trader on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, just the second black female trader in their history if you can believe that. And uh, we're, we're so pumped. So we're putting a lot of energy into the marketing and promotion of this series. And season one is right around the corner. So I love the premise. I want to hear more. So I'm watching, right? I'm on entrepreneur.com, October 19th. I hope everyone that's listening is marking that down on their calendars. So I'm going on there, right? Tell me exactly step by step as the, the viewer um, or the consumer of this show, what I can expect, what it'll look like exactly and how it works if, you know, I have some money and I'm looking to, uh, to utilize it. It's pretty seamless. So you're on entrepreneur.com. You're watching episode one in every episode in the video player itself. There are two embedded links on the top left. There's a transparent link that says click to invest on the top, right? There's a transparent link that says offering circulars. The offering circulars take you to the legal documents that every company in the show has filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission or the SEC and the click to invest takes you to goingpublic.com. So you're watching episode one, you learn about Proven Skincare, which is a $25 million skincare products company. They're one of the featured companies in the show. That takes you to goingpublic.com, then you pick Proven and you click invest and then that kicks off what we call an offering subscription workflow. You put in your first name, your last name, your email. You decide how many shares you'd like to purchase in Proven. If the minimum is a thousand, uh, you're purchasing a thousand dollars worth of stock. And then you decide how you'd like to check out. You can purchase your shares on credit card. You can wire money in, uh, ACH transfer. You can even write a check and mail it into the company. Crypto. So. Uh, and, and yes, that is an option if the company has decided to allow that. Interesting. So if the company wants to accept Bitcoin or Ethereum, they can do that. So it's fairly seamless. And that was kind of the objective is not just to allow somebody to invest while they watch, but to have that user experience, you know, be like you would expect. You, you should be able to click and do it in two to three minutes and be done. Uh, so all the technology has been developed. <clears throat> it works. It's fully integrated into the show. And again, these these buttons, the click to invest button or the link to the offering circulars are embedded within the video player. You could invest right away. You could wait to see how the stories of these companies unfold week after week. The season, by the way, is about two and a half months. These episodes are 24, 25 minutes each. They're released weekly. So really, it's an opportunity for the viewer to get to know the founder, get the inside look into that founder's background their vision, their mission, their values. And of course, the company. How did Amy and Ming, the founders of Proven, build a $25 million business in two years? And by the way, they were rejected on Shark Tank. So how did the sharks miss this one? Maybe the viewers have an opportunity to, to get it right where the sharks missed. Um, never been done before. And uh, this is one of those things that, this is an easy pitch to make, you know, and it's also, extremely complicated to execute. That's why this doesn't exist today. No guys at Goldman Sachs brought this show to life. No teams in Hollywood produced it. Um, there's basically no competition at the moment for a show like this and will be first to market when it streams in October. So just so I understand, so it'll be weekly episodes, about 25, 30 minutes on. So one season is one company. 
one season uh, is three to five companies. Three to five. So the for, the format for this show is called a docu-series. And for instance, we'll introduce two companies in episode one, the third company in episode two, uh, the fourth company in episode three. It's not a competition. These companies aren't competing. It's not going down from four to three to two. Their stories are essentially independent of the other companies. So by the middle of this season of going public, as a viewer in episodes four, five, and six, you've met all the founders for each company. You understand their background, where they came from, the things they've overcome to build these businesses. You'll know what the businesses are, what products they sell. You'll know how big these companies are. How many employees do they have? Uh, what are their revenues? How much capital are they trying to raise? How much have they raised? Who are their investors? Who's on the board? What do they want to do with $30 million? And that's the storytelling. And so we've brought in a phenomenal Emmy-nominated production company, INE Entertainment. They are the producer of the Going Public series. One of their principals, Mark Koops, co-created The Biggest Loser. He co-created, co-executive produced uh, the hit TV series, The Biggest Loser, which by the way, is one of the most successful television franchises ever. So if these guys figured out how to make a weight loss competition series massively mainstream, imagine what they're doing with Going Public, where anyone over 18 globally can click to invest while they watch. We've been working with INE for over three years, uh, we're spending millions of dollars on the production. So our thesis for this show is that the future of capital markets is content driven. Therefore, we're investing heavily into the storytelling. We're investing heavily into the production of the series. And when I talk to investors, I tell them in no uncertain terms, the format of this show is a moat. The format of this show is a differentiator. The production value of this show, the storytelling in this series, these are moats and differentiators for us. The average venture capitalist will laugh when they hear that, right? But it's true because we're creating this category while we speak. There is no parallel, there is no benchmark, there's not five competitors. This is the first of its kind. And when you create new categories, you also create new moats. And I think a good analogy is, is Shark Tank. There's a lot of knockoffs of Shark Tank that are not Shark Tank that format works. That format is a differentiator for Shark Tank. The production value is a differentiator. These are things that will be differentiators for us too. So a lot of emphasis has been put into the stories to ensure this is an entertaining series and it's not a dull business show, right? That would be a disaster. So we've thought about this and we've got a great season one uh, ready for people in October. So I'm from the generation um, what am, what am I, Josh? Gen Z, Gen Z, <laughs> where, <laughs> where, uh, I can, I can talk for a lot of people my age. They're looking for, I mean, especially with, uh, what's gone on in the past year with Robin Hood and all that. And I read an article that actually compared you guys in a weird way to Robin Hood, um, which we'll talk about after, but, um, but it's a generation uh, that's looking for fast returns quickly. They want their interface to show them, hopefully for them, how much money they're making. Um, say, okay, say I'm watching episode one. I'm two minutes in. Knowing how impatient uh, a lot of 20-year-olds are, they invest on the, on the dot. How does it work? Are you able to track your investment? When do you know if it's going up, down, sideways? Um, what is that process like? So um, no offense, but you may not be the target demographic for the series. And that's by design, right? Like, look, this is not a show for Robinhood traders. Robinhood is an app for, for traders and you want to lever up on options and you want to see confetti fall. You like that kind of dopamine hit? Go, go trade on Robinhood. These companies are privately held companies. When you invest in a privately held company, it's a buy and hold. You make a return if that company goes public and the price per share in the IPO or post IPO is higher than the, the, the shares you bought, you know, pre IPO. Um, there are companies in this series in season two, actually, we're already working on that now that will be true IPO candidates, meaning you would be buying IPO shares at the IPO price. In those deals, when the companies list and trade to NASDAQ, you're liquid. There's no lockup as a retail investor. Um, you're buying the same shares the institutions are. The, the, the companies in season one 
none of these companies will actually go public to NASDAQ in, in the show. And so that means you're buying shares of a privately held company and you're going to have to wait, whether that's three months, six months, 12 months for that company to work on its, its IPO. You know, the, the audience for this show is an older audience. It is a uh, older millennial and kind of Gen X audience. And that's one of the reasons we partnered with Entrepreneur. Their audience is 60, 40 male, female, average age is 40, average household income is $350,000. It's a fairly, you know, well-heeled, um, accredited audience, even in some ways. But it's, it's, this is not a show for um, Robinhood traders. That said, we're not excluding Gen Z, but this is not a day trading show. This is not buy $1,000 of shares and, and see it go to $2,000 because th these are privately held companies. So it is a, a different demographic that we're targeting. Uh, and, and that was conscious, right? So obviously, we'd love everybody to watch this show. And if you're interested and you like the company, you can click to invest. Uh, but we, we don't view ourselves as competitive with Robinhood because they're going after a very different audience. And now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats. At uswellnessmeats.com, you can choose from over 350 foods raised the way nature intended. That includes 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, lamb, bison, elk, and dairy. They also have pasture-raised heritage pork, wild-caught seafood, and pasture-raised poultry. These are some of the host of foods that you can find at uswellnessmeats.com where the owners are the actual farmers themselves and now they've introduced a subscription food delivery service and curated sample farm bundles. Choose the bundle of food you want to receive every month and they'll deliver it right to your door automatically. It's never been easier to serve your family real, honest-to-goodness food without the junk. U.S. Wellness Meats is the choice of championship sports teams, professional athletes, chefs, world-class trainers, and families just like yours all over America. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save 15% off of every order at uswellnessmeats.com. Now let's get back into it. And is there a, a minimum amount of money that you uh, need to invest in certain companies? Yeah, the company actually sets the minimum themselves. So what is, what is the range usually? It ranges from five hundred to a thousand dollars. That's okay. typically the minimum a company will set as a threshold in their in their uh, Reg A plus offer. And for you, um, how is or not for you, but how is the your investment uh, not only tracked, but, um, you know, I mean, is there official, what kind of official paperwork are you signing? Uh, you mentioned the, there's the legal documents on the, on the right side of the screen. Um, but for someone who's going to invest uh, whatever amount of dollars, I'm sure that at some point they want to know, A, you know, obviously when they can exit, um, B, track, uh, you know, over time how it's doing, I imagine. Um so how totally. would how how would that work? So the investors sign um, a digital subscription agreement, electronic signature, and then once the funds clear, the company issues shares to that particular investor. Then it's really in, it's it's incumbent on the company to update the investors. They'll typically do a weekly email, a quarterly, you know, investor conference, they'll bring the CEO, the executives on, it's a Zoom or webinar and the investors can ask questions. Um, but it's different than a brokerage account where you've bought crypto, you've bought, you know, GameStop or any stock for that matter, where there's a real time uh, price discovery and a, you know, price per share at any moment in time. So it's usually the company will update the investors on a weekly and quarterly basis. And definitely if and when those companies end up going public, the investors are then given their, uh, you know, they, they can then trade their shares and they're put into a brokerage account. You could put them into a Robinhood account. You could put them into a different account. Um, but it's usually the, the, the company that's raising capital communicates with the investor weekly, monthly to tell the investor, here's what's going on with the company. Here's the status of your investment. We're planning an IPO. We're looking at merging with the SPAC. All of those things are communicated by the company uh, you've bought shares from and, and the investor base. Is, is there any fear from a production standpoint that most people will want to, I guess, buy in, you know, two minutes into the show and not watch 
episode seven. You know what I mean? Because I think that for a lot of people, they're going to want to get in early and uh, and that, that would be a great problem. Uh, we we you know if that happened, that that's that's actually still success for us. I mean, part of the the way we're looking at season one is very simple. This is a first of its kind show where viewers can buy shares in companies while they watch. So the KPIs, the key performance indicators for us. How much capital does each company in this show raise? 5 million, 15 million, 25 million? How many investors sign subscription agreements? 5,000, 10,000, 20,000? What's the average investment? 500, 1,000, $5,000? That's it. Those are literally the KPIs you know, for, for this show. Now, there's other things that are also relevant here. Viewership, that's important. And long-term, how do these companies do, right? So let's not forget that. Part of the opportunity here is for us and our partners, Dalmore Group, which is a FINRA registered broker dealer. They're helping us curate the deals uh, and diligence every company. We want to present good investment opportunities to the general public. We're looking at the deal from an entertainment value standpoint. How does the founder perform on camera? Are they charismatic? Is there entertainment value in the founder, their story, the business? The broker dealers we're working with are looking at the investment opportunity. Is this a suitable investment for uh, the retail public? And so, you know, at, at one level, we're looking for, you know, gross funding. How much does each company raise? How many investors transacted? What was the average per investment? Then there's viewership. How many millions of people saw this series? 35 million and how many uniques per episode? One and a half, two million. And then how do the companies perform post going public? Do they go public? Do they trade up? Do they trade down? Those things obviously are critical for our long-term success, but really for season one, this is about how much capital do these companies raise in this show? We think we've got some incredible uh, companies, uh, proven skincare, uh, Treble, which is an audio streaming company, uh, Hammett, which is a $25 million woman's leather handbag company. These are all uh, businesses that are, are fairly established startups. They're not pre-revenue. They're not pre-product. These are the opposite of Shark Tank companies. These companies have already raised $15 million. They already do $25 million in sales. They already have a million paying customers, some of these companies. So presenting later stage startups, and it's a relative term, for this show is important to us. Uh, but those are those are kind of like the, the metrics we're gonna measure our success on. I'll be honest with you, I think that uh, that the concept sounds absolutely awesome. But that being said, I still gotta push you in and ask the questions that I hope people are, are wondering. Um, for someone who's listening, they might be like, well, okay, this might be a silly question, but um, how do I know my money is safe? Is it going public that is, uh, like who who is in charge of, um, the oversight of that? Well, that's a great question. So, you know, look, let me put it this way. When you invest into a company, first of all, you could lose some or all of your investment. So let's start there. That, that's a reality here. And, and I can't change that. That's, that's the truth. But in terms of like the technology is the capital protected. We've got world-class partners that are part of the uh, technology stack that is being used for this show. So Prime Trust uh, is the escrow agent. They're the uh, custody uh, engine for the funds in this series. Uh, they're highly regulated, they're heavily licensed. Uh, and I think that they raised capital at maybe a billion dollar valuation uh, in their most recent funding round. I think they raised 60 or $70 million. So they're the FinTech leader uh, in the escrow space. We are using Prime Trust as the uh, escrow engine. And, and the same can be said with the other partners. Dalmore Group, which is a FINRA registered broker dealer, is the reggae industry's leading broker dealer of record. Uh, they've done over 100, maybe 150 different reggae campaigns now. So, you know, we've assembled best in class partners that are proven, that are experienced, that are knowledgeable. And these are firms that we've worked with for, for six years, right? We've been in this industry since day one. It doesn't mean that you can't lose your money, but it means that the infrastructure that's been employed here is tried, tested, and proven. 
Now, how did you guys go about selecting the companies, at least for season one? So we worked with a couple different broker dealers to help us diligence these businesses. Um, one of them is Dalmore Group, a FINRA registered broker dealer out of New York. We also have worked closely with Roth Capital Partners. Roth Capital is a small cap institutional underwriter based in Southern California. They've been in business for about 30 years. They do about $6 billion of equity financings on an annual basis. Uh, and they focus on the small cap market and small cap IPOs. So, you know, sub $500 million market cap businesses uh, and, and in and around that area. So Roth has actually diligenced and provided an analysis uh, and reports on some of the companies that we're featuring in season one. They've provided comps, they've provided analysis on valuation. And then Dalmore Group is also as a broker dealer uh, working with us. Ultimately, we're also pulling in the producers, right? So we're presenting these companies to the producers and saying, what do you think of this founder? What do you think of their story? What do you think of their business? Is there enough entertainment value here? So we're working with broker dealers, we're working with institutional underwriters, we're working with the storytellers. And on top of that, we're really keen on featuring diverse and underrepresented founders. Um, I don't think the average founder in this country looks like me. Um, they look like Ming or Amy, who are Chinese immigrants who came to this country when they were teenagers and now run this amazing $25 million business. So we're looking to be very inclusive with this show. We think we have a unique opportunity to change the way people think about capital raising, Wall Street, IPOs. We want to feature diverse faces, diverse founders, underrepresented founders in this series. We've done that with our selection of a host, Lauren Simmons, uh, who's a black female. We've done it with the companies in the series, uh, from Proven Skincare with Amy and Ming to uh, uh, Next Gen T, which is another company we've signed, which is an ed tech company. They have an Asian male founder. Uh, Treble Music, Gary McKickian is Armenian. So diversity is another criteria. And it's not the only thing that matters, but it is something that we strongly consider as we're you know, talking to different businesses that apply to this show. Is there any fear that if a company were to fail, um, and by fail I mean if someone was to invest and it either goes to zero or you know big losses, that there would be uh, you know perhaps backlash or people that would be quite um, upset with with the founders or um, you know anything in that realm? Just because I think when people lose money on the stock market, well. Those companies that they're looking at are too big anyways for them to, you know, complain or bitch about. Um, and, you know, if if you're investing in your friend's startup, well, it's your friend and, you know, you kind of knew what you were getting into. But in this, it's like, you know, and maybe this is more of like the way too paranoid negative outlook. But I, just something that I wonder if you guys have thought about, because at the same time, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of I'm putting myself in the position uh, of perhaps someone who would, you know, if say, say they're an investor, they invest and it doesn't go well, then, you know, I don't know. Some people, you know, it's, it's a ruthless place, this, this internet. Um, you know, I don't know how, how much Listen, you guys have thought of that. You're right. I mean, it's the first thing we thought about, right? So we, we, we've been building the infrastructure for this show for four years. The first thing that occurred to us was that the way we fail is to put weak deals in this series. I mean, that, that was obvious out of the gate that if we, put up companies uh, and it's an IPO, for instance, and the price per share is $5. And six months later, the price per share is a buck. That would be a disaster, right? We, we would be done. And so at the same time, I don't think we need to have companies in this show that go from $5 to $10 and all of them double. That's unrealistic. Uh, but we've been very conscious of that. And that's why we've been working closely with the great team at Roth Capital Partners. We've been working with Dalmore Group. Um, those are things that I think are, are very clear with a series like this. Now, just because you, you watch this show doesn't mean, and we've been working on it four years, doesn't mean these are the best investments in the world. Um, but I think that we've done enough diligence uh, and we've worked with the right partners to prevent a disaster scenario. I think these are good companies and uh, ultimately it's for the investor to do their diligence and follow along and determine, is this something they want to invest in? Yes or no?
And now we're just going to take another quick break because I am super excited to announce that I have once again partnered up with Eat Clean Bro. As many of you longtime listeners know, I've been a fan of and worked with Eat Clean Bro in the past, and they are, in my opinion, the best freshly prepped meal company out there today. If you are someone like myself who perhaps isn't the best cook or has long work days and no desire to put together a meal, but wants to keep a healthy and balanced diet, Eat Clean Bro is absolutely the company for you. They have delicious meals that are also incredibly healthy that include freshly prepped salmon and asparagus, shrimp, spinach, chicken, and a whole lot more. I personally like to top off my meals with their chocolate and peanut butter protein balls that are my absolute favorites. If you want to go to eatcleanbro.com today and use my promo code WTG, you'll receive 10% off of every single order. I'm not kidding when I say I really love this company and use them weekly myself. They help me maintain a steady diet and reduce the stresses and labor of putting together a good tasting healthy meal. Go check out eatcleanbro.com today. Now let's get back into it. And from a from an interface kind of perspective, um, I don't know. Are there are there ways that people can stream this on their phones, tablets, uh, or is it just kind of on entrepreneur.com? And is that the only place in which they can go ahead and actually like make the physical investment? Well, you know, we're streaming the series on goingpublic.com as well. So the the bulk of the audience for season one will certainly come from entrepreneur as an established platform that has 20 million people hitting that course site every month. It will also stream on going public. And we're working right now with other partners and publishers to syndicate this out. So the other big obvious mode for us is distribution. Nobody else at the moment has a distribution deal uh, like we do for a series where viewers can click to invest in IPOs or deals while they watch. We're the only group that's ever solved that. Um, so the more we can expand distribution, bring more eyeballs, bring more audience to this show, that's you know in our best interest and in our investors' interest. Um, but right now, the bulk of the audience will come from Entrepreneur. It will also stream on uh, goingpublic.com. Now, for you, uh, what's the day-to-day looking like in preparations for this and, I guess, over the last couple of years? Well, you know, look, we've raised almost $6.5 million, and we're putting um, a big chunk of that into marketing and promotion for season one. We have a phenomenal chief marketing officer, Rio Cyrus. She spent 10 years at Fox as a senior vice president of brand marketing. Um, we've got a, a phenomenal social media marketing team. We've got a phenomenal paid marketing team. We've got a phenomenal PR team. So we've got a lot of energy and dollars going into the promotion of this show to ensure that it is widely seen, widely talked about, widely discussed online, offline, word of mouth, you name it. Uh, that's really where the focus is in the next 60 days is into the marketing plan across digital, uh, earned media, PR, paid media. These are these are the things that we're thinking and talking about on, on an hourly basis right now. What is your goal for, for your company? We see Crush Capital, which is the creator and owner of this show, uh, having the potential to be a multi-billion dollar financial services conglomerate. And I think a good analogy for how we do that is to look at Charles Schwab, right? which is a multi-billion dollar financial services conglomerate that started off as a paid newsletter. Charles wow. Schwab was a paid newsletter in the late 60s. They're not a paid newsletter anymore. Going public starts off as a TV show. It's a series. It's, it's kind of the modern version of what Schwab was doing, building an audience online. And it's, it's you know night and day from what was happening then but I think there's a parallel that can be drawn here. And uh, we're taking a very unique approach. So we see an opportunity to build uh, an ATS, an alternative trading system to offer wealth management services, credit, you name it, and to parlay going public into multiple other IPs, multiple other shows that allow the viewer to invest while they watch. Going public being the first. We're already in dialogue with other hosts, other creators, that have ideas for shows that would allow the viewer to invest, maybe a slightly different format, slightly different company, earlier stage, later stage, but using these new securities exemptions that allow companies to market their deal and anyone over 18 globally can legally invest. Uh, So I think we've got a shot to really do something big here and we're focused on this show season one to start. 
Um, but I, I think in success, this could be a, a big multi-billion dollar company. Do you think that um, the goal, and obviously right now it's on entrepreneur.com and, uh, and season one has yet to come out, but I'm just picturing it as, do you think that one day in the future, there's a world in which someone, whether it be this show or another, um, you know, will be watching on Netflix and a little icon ticker on the left will say invest in well i guess it would have to be some 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 type of show of this nature but um do you think the world is going in in that direction um altogether 100 percent, 100 percent. not only is the world going in that direction but here's what that means the the wealth of venture capital is going to be um it's going to it's going to shift hands it's going to be redistributed to retail investors around the world. These, uh, this show and these, these capital raising tools are going to displace a lot of early stage uh, venture capital and retail investors will have the power, uh, hopefully infinitely into the future. And I think one of the ways we get there is to go upstream, whether that's Netflix or Amazon or Hulu. And, you know, none of those platforms would ever do this show out of the gate. We had to go with a publisher, a platform like Entrepreneur to prove it out, right? There's too much that they risk um, and they don't need that risk. And even the deal we signed with Entrepreneur took us almost 16 months to sign the deal. And we were the experts, the foremost experts in how capital is raised online. It took us 16 months because these companies have the same questions. Well, who's liable for the statements? Um, what about insurance? What about indemnification? What happens if these are bad deals? The same questions you ask, the lawyers ask. We were able to solve that with the entrepreneur. And I think we, we've got the best uh, likelihood amongst anyone to go upstream, again, whether it's to Netflix or another similar platform. But that's where I think this ends up going. Absolutely. Do you think there's a perhaps a world in which people can invest in going public? Uh, there, there definitely is. So we're, we're doing a private placement right now. It's our last private placement before, um, the, sh the show streams. It's a $5 million private placement. If anybody's interested, you can email me, Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N at goingpublic.com. But beyond that, does that mean, we so that means a $5 million minimum? No, it's a, it's a hundred thousand minimum in a $5 million private okay. placement. That round is limited for accredited. However, we are doing our own Reg A plus financing. So anyone over 18 in January will be able, uh, assuming we get qualified by the SEC, which it looks like that will happen now, we'll be able to invest in our company. So the same method we're prescribing to the market where we help these companies raise capital online from retail investors, we're doing ourselves. We plan to take our own company public to NASDAQ in Q4 next year 2022 to do our own reggae financing a few months prior to that in Q1 2022 to allow the general public to allow retail investors to come in and own a piece of our company before we take Crush Capital, the creator and owner of the show, public to NASDAQ. So that is in store for early next year. Darren, are you able to take some time for yourself and relax? It sounds like you've had a, a, a very, a very long past couple, three, four years of doing honestly incredible, uh, incredibly innovative um, ideas. But I don't know. Are you able to to kind of relax and I hope spend some time with the wife 100%, and family? Man, yeah. Listen, I mean, it's uh, you know, Grant Cardone says I'm addicted to success. You know, success is my duty. I'm not that extreme about it or hardcore. Um, but listen, like. I love what I'm doing. Like I said to you at the outset, I'm living my dream. And so every day is precious because I've worked so hard. I'm 41, I'm not 21. I've worked so hard to get here that like we're grabbing the bull by the horns and we're going every single day. Uh, that said, the beauty of running your own company is you are the boss. I took a week off, took my family to Park City, Utah. I took a week off a few weeks after that and we went to, uh, we went to Lake Tahoe. So, you know, having your own company comes with a lot of benefits. And I apologize, Felix, I actually have to jump. We have a, a million dollar investor that wants <laughs> to close with us literally right now. Hey, that sounds way uh, more important than what we're guys doing. guys in New York. <laughs> that sounds way more important. But, um, hopefully this was good, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me and uh, for being interested. And by the way, you know, 
like I said, nothing was off limits. I love that we, we got to talk about drinking and alcohol and sobriety at the beginning. And uh, hopefully somebody out there, you know, heard that and uh, makes a change. For sure. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. And uh, well, I hope I see you soon at some point in time. Thanks, Felix. Appreciate it very much. Take care. Rock on.